Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, so tell me, yeah, tell me both of you what you know about menopause. What I know about menopause is the loss of fertility, vaginal dryness, question mark, and hot flashes. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty much that. Like, no more babies, maybe a dry vagina, and more sweating than I already do. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, you already get the night sweats. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like that's what you both knew. Yeah, yeah, that's because uh, nobody ever. I mean, my mother is not the type. As loud as she is, she's not the type to really talk about it. Well, I think women don't talk about it. I mean, I, I mean, I think people don't talk about it because it's kind of embarrassing. It makes you feel kind of old, and you know, it's not that sexy. And also, if you're not in it, like no one cares. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen. And as y'all might have guessed, we are talking about menopause today because even though it's as old as ovaries, what menopause actually does to our bodies and when and how and to what extent, it is shockingly unmentionable in our culture. And that's so bizarre when you start to think about it, because in cultures around the world, like, we've always made a big fuss over menstruation as our entree to womanhood. In fact, periods, pregnancy, motherhood— Those things have culturally defined our feminine gender roles, you know, like make them babies, ladies. And even though we know this is a lot of like gender essentialist nonsense, we know that we are more than our wombs. We don't talk about this entire phase after our fertile years have passed, after our periods stop and our ovaries just pack up their bags and are like, you know what, I'm just going to take a staycation. I'm staying put, but I'm just not going to do anything. And that's why today we're breaking the menopausal silence by talking to two women with two very different experiences of going through the change, as my grandfather called it. I <laughs> love that euphemism. Because we want to find out what to expect when we're expecting menopause. And who's supposed to tell us? Nina Loris Collins has thought a lot about these questions, too, in the past couple years. She's 48 and the author of What Would Virginia Woolf Do? and Other Questions I Ask Myself as I Attempt to Age Without Apology. What does aging without apology look like? You know, not feeling ashamed of, like, you know, saggy breasts and chin hair and just feeling older in general and, um, you know, aging without shame. Is there at all a sense of betrayal, of 
things happening to your body that you were never told about? I mean, I feel um, I, I certainly wish the medical profession was better at preparing women and and also just informing us. I mean, it's kind of shocking how little um, clarity there is for women on what to do. There are things that just no one ever talks about, and that's kind of shocking for me. One super basic thing we don't talk about, menopause is really just a catch-all term for perimenopause, menopause, and the postmenopausal phases of our lives. And if you want to get really technical about it, this is referred to as our climactic era of life. <laughs> cool. Just sliding all the way down that denouement. Mm-hmm. So perimenopause is the period between um, when it all starts to happen, when symptoms start, and menopause, you're in menopause when you have not had a period for 12 months. And for most women, I think the average length of perimenopause is like seven and a half years. I mean, it's really long. Um, and it's longer if it starts before your period um, starts to shift. Hear that, y'all? Seven and a half years. Like, you could be going through a whole PhD program. <laughs> Raising an entire second grader. Not even knowing that your ovaries are just quietly closing down shop. <laughs> You're just like, okay, you guys, I think she's asleep. Um, let's, let's back up this corner of the ovary, okay? So what did you know about menopause? going into it. I guess I thought that it would probably happen in my mid to late 50s. My mother died when she was 46, premenopausal. She had premenopausal breast cancer. So she had not gone through it. Um I guess I just thought my period will stop and maybe I'll have hot flashes and night sweats cuz like you that's kind of what I'd heard about in the culture. And then um when I was 46, my period started to kind of stagger. Um which is typical. You know, I get it like every 2 months and then every 3 months. But then one night in September, just after my 46th birthday, I was in a restaurant and all of a sudden I felt like really, really hot. And I went to the bathroom and actually started taking off my clothes. Like, and I felt, you know, like sick. Like, it's like, what's happening to me? Am I having a stroke? Like, it's it's very weird. And I like patted myself down with paper towels and kind of took a bunch of deep breaths and got my clothes back on and went to the table and I ate like a basket of bread. Like, it was like the only thing. Like, make me feel calmer. And and then I I really didn't know what was happening. And then I realized later, oh, God, that was probably a hot flash. And right, like, literally that week, right around then, I started waking up at, like, 4 a.m., like clockwork. As Nina soon learned, hot flashes are just one of dozens of menopausal symptoms. As she writes in her book... The site, healthline.com, lists an alarming 33 additional symptoms, including feelings of dread, apprehension, and doom. Other winners are head and or pubic hair loss. I forgot about that. Increase in facial hair. That's a huge one. Gastrointestinal distress. Indigestion. Flatulence. Itchy skin. Nausea. The list goes on and on, each ailment more depressing than the next. And don't forget the weight gain, mood swings, thinning nails, changes in body odor, low sex drive, chills, bone density loss, urinary incontinence, brain fog... And in case y'all are not keeping count, we're not even up to 30 yet. And it's not just these physical symptoms. There's this whole other shift that happens, not just to your body, but how you feel as you start to enter menopause and start to see yourself physically aging. And for Nina, she started to feel really isolated. Like, here's this highly accomplished woman who survived divorce, she's raised kids, and suddenly her world is being flipped upside down by this thing that, yeah, we all know it's going to happen, 
but nobody prepares us for it. So she did what any modern woman does these days when nothing makes sense. She Googled it. And one of the symptoms, the documented symptoms of perimenopause is impending sense of doom. Which is hilarious, right? I mean, kind of. Um, and so I posted on my Facebook page, I was like, do you know that impending sense of doom is an actually documented symptom of perimenopause? Like, here we are. And a bunch of my, like, funny, feminist, smart-ass friends started chiming in on this thread on my regular page. And we joked that maybe we should start our own forum just to talk about these issues because no one else really cared. And it wasn't that we were embarrassed. It was just that I knew in my regular Facebook world like men and kids would be like, what? Like, they just wouldn't get it. One of her friends asked, okay, what should we call this group? And another suggested, what would Virginia Woolf do? You know, it's really just a dark joke that she killed herself in her 50s, and maybe we should just kill ourselves too. (laughs) And I thought it was super funny. What Would Virginia Woolf Do started out as a secret group for around 50 of Nina's friends where, you know, they could finally get real about menopause and all the unsexy stuff their gynos hadn't been telling them this whole time. And then her friends started inviting their friends, and now there are more than 19,000 wolfers around the world. All of which goes to show just how much it really matters to break the menopausal silence. One of the things I've learned in this group is how many women suffer from painful sex and vaginal dryness, and they're really, they're they're either too embarrassed to tell their doctors about it or, because, I mean, we have women posting and learning constantly about this issue. And I talk about a lot in my book about lubrication and coconut oil and the importance of lube and sex because it's very fixable for the most part, but it it cannot be if you let it go on too long. Once you hit your 40s, mid-40s, certainly 50s, it seems pretty clear if you're not having sex, you should use a dildo. Like you should be using something because we, we really, there are women who like, they, they can't have sex. They're too afraid to. It's too painful. Or like I have a girlfriend who I met in the group and she had net sex for a bunch of years and then was starting to date a guy. And it was like a full-blown crisis. Like she was afraid of physical intimacy and she was like using a dildo and trying to like prepare and it was a little too late and she had to start with estrogen. So like she literally had to kind of delay this relationship to like prepare herself. It was horrible. Like, who, like that's just horrible. So – Does the pain come from the dryness issue? I have this gynecologist who I really love who's a hormone specialist. And the way she explained it to me is the walls of your vagina when you're your age or younger are like super pink and plump. And as you get older, they basically become (laughs) gray Mm. and dry and really thin. And so it's – so there's like – you're more likely to tear. You know, it's just – you're, the the depletion of estrogen in your body makes everything dry out. So your face dries out, your intestines, you have more gas, more constipation. Like, you are just drier everywhere. So when you say gray, do you mean that, like, metaphorically? No, no. The skin <laughs> gets grayer. That's how she described it. I was shocked. My mouth was hanging open. I was like, really? That's so gross. And what would Virginia Woolf do? There's no shame in the menopause game, y'all. There's frustration and anger and confusion, sure, but there's also so much more because, y'all, it's not easy being an aging woman in our society. Yeah, take it from this experience that inspired Nina's very first What Would Virginia Woolf Do post. Basically, I'd gone to a Madewell with my, I think it was just with my oldest daughter. And uh, so we were trying on jeans, these like black jeans, and we were both like a size 28. And 
<laughs> they just, we were in this like large dressing room together and they just looked so much better on her and, and just her body naked and my body naked. And, you know, I was like, so we're the same size, but there was just this realization that, you know, that I'm on the downhill slope and that she's like young and beautiful and it's all okay. But it was just a realization of, um, of aging, of like the poignancy of like, I'm not getting any younger. This is only going in one direction. They have it all in front of them. That's all behind me. And that kind of is, I think, still kind of the ethos of the group, that sense of like, we can be funny and real and talk about these things. And there is a sadness to aging. No, there is. And there's also a lot of strength to aging, right? We have a lot of wisdom. We have a lot to share. Um, There are a lot of good things still happening to us. But, you know, it's loss. That's the mix of emotions and issues that you'll see in the group. And Nina graciously invited us in, you know, for research purposes. And honestly, it felt like entering a whole new world. It's super supportive. I mean, the group is a blend of crowdsourcing, advice giving, and plenty of humor on top of all that. Yeah, I mean, basically... Imagine life as a 50-year-old woman and all of the things, the constellation of things going on in your life, whether it's a super dry vagina because you're menopausal and don't know what's going on, or you're really tired and you have an unsupportive partner at home, or maybe something just ridiculous happened to you, a dude hit on you or didn't hit on you and you feel totally invisible. Like that's where all of these issues can come out for people to sort through them together. It's just surprised me. Like, I wasn't an early, I mean, I've never had online friends before. I wasn't like an AOL chat room person <laughs> or anything. Um, I didn't, I, if you had told me 10 years ago I was going to have this vibrant community of online relationships, I would have thought it was ridiculous. Um, but it's been an interesting way. You know how, like, when you go to your closest friends, you kind of know who's going to say what. Like, if you're having mm-hmm. a crisis, you know, should I date this guy? Should I break up with this guy? Should I whatever say this to my kid? You kind of know who's going to tell you what. And when you go in the group and you go online, you kind of pose a question and you get all these really smart, experienced women who have no agenda with you, you know, giving answers. It's very helpful. Why do you think the group is so important? And what do you get out of it? And what do the members get out of it? I've been thinking a lot about this. You know, I started it when I was 46, and that's the year my my mom died when she was 46. And um, so I had kind of this, you know, she died when I was 19, but my whole adult life I had this she was kind of in front of me. You know, I had this model of what she was like until she was 46. And I think in some ways, I st- it's interesting to me that I started it when I no longer had her in front of me. I mean, I think I learn a huge amount from the women. This is the case for a lot of baby boomer women like Nina, whose moms either died before they hit menopause, or the topic was simply too taboo for a mother-daughter conversation. But even though our health care has improved since Nina's mom's era and we're living longer than ever— The way we treat aging women in menopause as irrelevant has barely budged. My first doctor, when they presented the idea to me that, like, I would be in menopause, I was like, well, tell me what the side effects are. And he was like, ask your mom. And that was it. That's what I got. What? Ask your mom. Ooh. Wait, hold hold, hold, hold the phone. Wait, why why do you—why? Yeah, because he's an old man. And this is what I'm saying. Like, to them, it's like, well, who cares what the side effects are? You're going to live. Going through menopause at 30 when we come back. (laughs) 
We're back with Krista Rodriguez, a Broadway performer and TV star. And in 2014, when she was just 30 years old, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And her primary treatment was medically induced menopause. And before we get into Krista's story, let's go ahead and specify that she's now cancer-free. But her journey, which made a big detour into menopause, tells us so much about what society expects of us when we're expecting menopause or not. Okay, so Chris is one of those people who does stuff early. Like with her career, she'd known she wanted to be on stage since she was a kid. I saw Beauty and the Beast when I was 10, and I came home and I was like, guys, I know what I want to be uh, as an adult. I want to be a napkin. <laughs> and they were like, don't you want to be Belle? I'm like, no, I want to be a napkin. And they wear that big dress and they dance around Belle. And they were like, oh, good. We'll pay for more dance lessons then. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so uh, I always just saw myself on stage. At 17, Krista moved to New York. And in her early 20s, she was performing in the play Spring Awakening. But when she turned 30, Krista was early for something a lot less glamorous. I had always wanted to be 30. It was like a dream of mine <laughs> in a weird way. I was Because I grew up in theater, um, I was always kind of the youngest one in every cast, and all of my friends were older than me, and I would watch them turn 30 and just discover themselves. It was such an aspirational moment um, to me. And when it actually happened to me, it wasn't—it kind of— if you would have taken a snapshot of my life at that time, it wasn't at all what I had thought my life was going to be at that moment. I was single. I was unemployed. I was not, like, I was not in a place where I thought I had things figured out. So it was kind of like a disorienting moment in my life. And then on my birthday, I went to my gynecologist. I had my annual, <laughs> which was, like, <laughs> such a dumb idea. Like, welcome to 30. Like, here's the stirrups. And um, I had spent the day before at the DMV getting my bre- my new ID. So, like, maybe maybe I had contributed to 30 not feeling great by, like, <laughs> scheduling the DMV appointment and the gynecologist the next day. So, um, so I'd been to the gynecologist, and I had always had— um, um, cystic breasts. Cystic breasts basically just means your hormones are making your boobs a little lumpy and tender. They'd always check and they'd be like, you know, how old are you? Do you have any family history of breast cancer? Y- you know, it seems like cysts. If you want an ultrasound just to make you feel better, like you can have one. And and so I'd had a couple ultrasounds um, between tw- age 25 and 30. Uh, and everyone had kind of been like, um, there's stuff in there, but are you, you're young, you've got no family history, it's probably just cysts. I mean, that was like just the on-loop answer that I would get all the time. So I went to this, my gynecologist, and she said the same thing. You're healthy, you're happy, everything's good. Um, and if you want an ultrasound, here's a prescription and do it at your leisure. So um, a, like a month went by and I still had the prescription on my dresser and um, I had a little drop of blood come out, uh, like uh, uh, not come out, like it was just dried on my nipple. And um, also I had just, it was weird, like a weird part of the story. I'd just gotten a dog and she would always root around my breast, my left breast. And I remember saying, if I have cancer, I'm like going to register my dog as a cancer sniffing dog because she was like constantly in my boob, which was really weird. Um, But also probably because there was blood there. But it was just this tiny, tiny, tiny little bit. And I didn't really think about it. And then a month later, it, uh, I was rehearsing for this show that I was directing. 
And we were like doing a late night rehearsal and I remember feeling itchy in my bra and like I looked down and there was a bunch of dried blood like that had come off in my bra and I was like, oh, that's not, that's probably not good. Krista went home and told her mom. And from there, she says everything went into motion. All of a sudden, she had appointments with specialists, consultations, mammograms, things 30-year-olds don't normally get. So I went to my mammogram and I went to the ultrasound and they were all kind of like annoyed that I was there. I remember getting to the mammogram and she was like, I'm, we're not giving you a mammogram. You're you're 30 and you have no family history. I was like, I have a prescription for a diagnostic mammogram. And they were like, go back to your doctor because that's not, you know, it's not going to be covered by your insurance. I mean, I had to fight. Even though I thought I didn't, any, nothing was wrong with me, I still had to fight with this woman at the desk to give me this mammogram. The day she got her results, Krista and her mom were taken into the bad news room. You know, the one that has, like, comfy couches instead of exam tables. Then the doctor delivered the diagnosis. It was breast cancer. I remember, like, everything becoming super clear, um, very focused when they told me. I just, like, narrowed in on the doctor and... She was, like, talking, and she said something about surgery, and I was like, all right, now we need to, like, what's next? What's the next step? And she was like, well, we can get you an MRI right now. I was like, great. I was, like, on the table in four seconds. I was like, we are going to figure out what the fuck happened here. And then um, once we got the results of the MRI, he sat me down, and they—I'll never forget it. He drew on my breast where the tumor was, and I was not really, like— we were talking while he was like drawing and I looked down and it was like a dotted line of purple marker all over my boob. And I was like, what? Like, that's what it is? Like, I, it was, I'll never forget what that looked like. And then he showed me the MRI and it was like, um, it looked like a hurricane, you know, an MRI is like that heat path. And it was like a red splotch that just was enormous. It looked like the eye of a hurricane. It was crazy. And um, yeah, and it was an eight centimeter tumor. It was enormous. It was in my entire breast. And um, that's why they didn't find it because it was the whole thing. And uh, after the the MRI revealed uh, it, they said they thought it had been growing for five years. So from that time, all those times I'd had ultrasounds and all of that, it was completely ignored because I didn't have any of the risk factors. So so if you had not then noticed the dried blood on your yeah. nipple. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, like, dot, dot. Yeah. If I would have waited until 45, which is when my, my mammogram would have been covered by insurance, then I would be dead for sure. So they caught it. But then Krista's doctors told her they had some more supposedly good news. They kind of told me off the bat, they were like, the good news is you have like the Cadillac of cancer. We know we know almost everything about this kind of cancer. It's um, estrogen receptor positive, HER2 negative. Um, It's the old lady cancer. It's the cancer that most women get when they're 60s, 70s. It's not the cancer that a 30 year old gets. So there she was early again. Her doctors laid out a treatment plan. They told Krista they wanted to save her boobs, her babies, and her hair, i.e. freeze her eggs, try to avoid chemo, and make surgery as minimally invasive as possible. In the end, they weren't able to avoid chemo or surgery, but to try to help shrink the tumor, Krista's doctors medically induced menopause. Her estrogen was totally depleted in one afternoon. So before all of this happened and your life is kind of flipped upside down, Mm -hmm. what... 
what did you expect? Uh, what were you expecting about menopause? Like, what was your knowledge of menopause going into this? Yeah, my knowledge of menopause was hot flashes. That was about it. Uh, I worked with uh, Rosie O'Donnell, and I remember she was leading, like, a symposium of young women talking about sexuality. And she pulled up the back of her hair, and she had shaved the underside of her head because she's like, I'm going through menopause, and these hot flashes are so insane that I had to shave the underside of my head. So I remember that being like, oh, hot flashes are a real thing. Y'all, Rosie O'Donnell was more informative to Krista about menopause than that old man doctor of hers who basically told her nothing about what she could expect from menopause. But how did it feel, though, when he said, just ask your mom? What went through your head? What were you feeling? Um, it felt a little bit like, well, uh, you know, my mom took 10 years to go through this, and I'm going to do it in a day. Like, it, you literally, like, you have to wait for your heaviest day of your period, and then they give you a shot, and then it's done. Your per- Like, my period dried up in two hours. It was like, it was over. And it, it was really jarring. And um, and actually, for a while, it was kind of nice. Like, I didn't have my period. My my hormones were, like, just steady as a rock. You know, it was I wasn't, you know, like, the day before your period, you're like, I hate everybody, and my boyfriend's <laughs> cheating on me. And, you know, like, it's, you become this, like, crazy person, this monster takes over your body. And I wasn't having any of that. And it was kind of, I remember him being like, so how are you feeling? And I'm like, I kind of like it. I, I'm kind of pro-menopause for like the first three weeks. But pretty soon, the realities of menopause sank in for Krista. When we come back, dating through the change. Don't go away. We're back with Krista Rodriguez, a Broadway performer, an actor who was diagnosed with breast cancer, had a double mastectomy, and hit menopause when she was 30 years old. When Krista's doctors first explained the treatment plan, they told her that they'd use drugs to keep her body in menopause. You know, no estrogen, no periods, all the symptoms, for about nine months. The idea was just to help shrink the tumor, make it easier to remove. And at first, Krista didn't mind menopause so much. She was like, oh, cool, I don't have to have a period. Like, what's nine months of menopause when I get to live? Plus, the day that I started menopause, I met my boyfriend. So Krista was still working throughout her treatment. She started a movie filming in New York right as she was beginning the medication that put her into menopause. And when she walked on set, she noticed a really cute guy in the crew. And I was like, all right, that's happening. And then, <laughs> like, and I was like, I don't know when, but, like, that's happening. And um, so we got really close during the movie. He was on the crew. And um, it was, like, six weeks in. And I had—I was still taking these pills. I had to take them every day at the exact same time every day. And it was—I um, it was, I, I went on set, and I didn't have them. And I was like, hey, can you, like, go into my trailer and get me these things? And so— after a while, he was like, okay, what's the deal with the pills? And I was like, he goes, um, are you dying? <laughs> and I was like, um, maybe. 
And he was like, oh, shit, really? I'm like, yeah. Like, I have, I, and I wasn't telling anybody. No one knew because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't want to be a liability. Um, and so uh, I told him. He was the first person I told. And he was like, oh, my my mom had breast cancer. Like, I know, I know what this is. And I was like, okay, well, do you want to... Do you want to jump on board? And he was like, yeah, let's go. They started dating six weeks after she was diagnosed. That means Krista's only experienced this relationship as a menopausal woman, which might not sound like a big deal, but right in the middle of her treatment. There was a huge breast cancer summit where finally these 20-year long lead studies had come out that said that women were having better survival rates if they stayed in menopause for longer. So it became, you can stay in it for two years, and then if you want to get pregnant, you can go out of it, get pregnant, and go back in. Um, So that was sort of like two years. And then as I stayed in it longer, they're like, actually, women are doing better five years. And then as now I'm four years in and they're like, you know, 10 years is even better. And I'm like, I will punch you in the throat. (laughs) Like, it's, it's like, it's, I mean, to me, it's so frustrating because I know that it's the best thing. And, and to the doctors and to the medical community, it's a win because it's something that they can do long-term maintenance that can make you live longer. And from behind the desk in your lab coat, it's like, what's the problem? This is something you're going to do anyway. You know, this is a this is a win for us. And on the other side of it, it's like, you cannot keep me here. It's my quality of life is not what it should be. See, over time, as Krista's body settled into menopause, she developed one major menopausal side effect. Her libido was basically wiped out. Sex is, like, not, like, not even, like, my fourth most important thing in my life. Like, it's not on the list at all. It doesn't register in my mind as a thing that still exists in the world. It's really bizarre. Like, it's, like, I have to remember that it's something that people do and, like, something that people enjoy. And I, it's, it's, like, I have amnesia of I have sexual amnesia. (laughs) Um, So that's, like, very difficult. There's a lot of dysfunction involved just, like, physically. Um, I don't, you know, I don't self-lubricate. I don't don't have any sort of um, erogenous zones. My, you know, I had a double mastectomy, so I have zero feeling in my breasts. Um, I just have, like, really no points of contact that that can be excited. It's been a lot. We navigate it all the time. Every sexual encounter requires like a lot of forethought, a lot of d- communication, a lot of like stimulation that I didn't need before, a lot of mental stimulation, a lot of like getting it getting my back scratched is like the most exciting thing now. You know, like little little parts where you're like, "Oh, that I I can still feel that. Keep going there." Unlike common menopause treatments like hormone replacement therapy and estrogen creams, Krista's options are extremely limited because she can't use any products with estrogen. They're always like, "Well, you can take this for hot flashes." I'm like, "I don't care about the hot flashes. I need to have like fulfilling sex." And they it's not something that people are comfortable talking about, especially um, your doctors. And even with the women, it's like, you know, doctors are older. 
they're, you know, they've, they've been through a lot of school, so they're older. So they didn't go through this at my age either. And they're like, yeah, I know, I know. It's a lot of like, I know, but not a lot of ponying up and like of information. And then I'm like, oh, I found this thing online. They're like, yeah, you can't take that because you can't have anything that resembles estrogen. Yeah, you can't do that. Like women are taking testosterone now in in menopause if they haven't had cancer. I can't do that. I'm I, nothing is available to me to help. And nothing is, no one is trying to help this section of women because it's it's not something people want to talk about. You know, it's not something people want to know that it's not like that women, older women still want to have sex and want to be sexy and want to feel hot and want to like, you know, go through all the same things that they felt before. When Krista started going through treatment, she launched a blog called Chemo Couture, and she also wrote about her experiences with menopause and cancer at other places like Glamour and Lenny Letter. She really wants to be a source of guidance and information for other women, you know, guidance that she didn't have. Even though she was roughly 20 years early to menopause, she wants to make sure that folks who experience it at any age don't feel invisible. What advice would you have for listeners who, sure, who might be going through uh, perimenopause or menopause for whatever reason, but also who might be grappling with the disconnect between feeling unfeminine in their body or feeling at odds with their body. I mean, th- that's what's so hard is that there's there's not a lot of advice. Like you can feel it. You're fighting such a hard battle. You know, you're 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 running uphill, wearing rocks. It's like. Fighting evolution is, you know, it doesn't happen. You don't fight evolution. So um, so basically all you have to do is sort of go with it. And I, you know, I really took control of my body. The thing that was making me feel the worst was the weight gain. And I, I took control of that. And um, what was difficult for me was to realize that losing weight in menopause was going to be different than losing weight as like a healthy 28-year-old who's like, maybe I'll stop drinking soda and I'll lose 30 pounds. <laughs> you know, it was like, no, I had to get rid of everything. And I lost it. I lost the weight. It took me two years, you basically have to, you have to keep going. You have to keep like figuring out what is the hardest thing for you and being like, I feel like if I can get this part under control, I can deal with the rest of it. If I can look at the mirror and be like, that's a woman that I recognize, then you can go through life with the things that you don't recognize a little bit easier. So yeah, Krista wants more cancer treatment options. But like Nina, she also wants people to start talking about menopause and what it means for women at any age. I think there is a difference between going through menopause naturally and going through menopause in a day when you're 30, when your body's not ready for it. And I think the results are more severe and people aren't really addressing that. They're thinking like, well, women go through this all the time. Like, why would you worry about it? Everybody does it. But... um, you know, it. I think that 
me having going through it earlier, I'm hoping to bring awareness that like, even when you go through it naturally, we need to keep talking about it. We need to keep taking care of these women. You know, I always, I like conjured this image of just like pushing the old ladies off on like the ice flow and being like, okay, thank you for your service. And you are no longer useful to us, you know? And like, fuck that. Like we're useful always. I don't want that to be any woman's fate. So will you, you know, they gave you these weird ever-extending timelines about being in menopause. Will you ever come out of it? So I'm at the five-year, I have one more year till I'm at the five-year mark. So basically what my doctor just like explained to me is it's your priorities. If your priority is never having, like doing as much as you possibly can to mitigate recurrence, you stay in menopause. If your first priority is being a mother, you do it as long as you feel you have to, and then you take the risk of getting pregnant and putting a shit ton of estrogen in your body and seeing if that gives you cancer again, but at least you have a baby. And then your other option is if your primary thing is having good sex again and you will choose good sex over possibly dying, then you go off the pills and you go off the drugs. So it's like you're you're left with this Sophie's choice at all times of like what your priority is. Chris is almost at the five-year mark of menopause. So pretty soon she'll have to make that choice. Right now, she wants to go off everything and end menopause. Well, you know, for a while. And I get 10 years before I go into menopause again, naturally, and hope that, you know, I just can, you know, become the sexual warrior uh, in those 10 years and have babies <laughs> and, like, have a great time again. You know, Kristen, same goes for us. According to Nina, it's true. Well, remind me again how old you guys are. So Kristen is... I'm 33. 34. Like, you guys are still young. And in, like, 10 years, you're going to be not really so young anymore. You're going to be at the beginning of this. <laughs> we, still have, we still have 10 years, You though. have 10 good years of, of youth. <laughs> and then lots of years of other things. But, yeah, you're, you're young for, like, 10 more years. Um, Caroline, I feel like this is really a good news, bad news situation for us. Because... Um, Wow, okay, 10 years, TikTok. (laughs) And also, I mean, I do feel like I am much better prepared to know what is on the other side of those 10 years. But I gotta tell you, like, this is not a joke. Last weekend, much like Nina, I found myself (laughs) basically undressing in a restaurant bathroom. Wiping my sweaty body down. Well, was that because we live in Atlanta or because you're hitting menopause? I don't know at this point, (laughs) Caroline. I do not know. It could have been both. All right. And speaking of things that are hot, we've got to keep breaking the menopausal silence. So send us your thoughts about all of this, about menopause, menstruation, or other milestones of aging that we didn't talk about. Email us at hello at unladylike.co or hit us up on social everywhere at Unladylike Media. And make sure you head over to our site. Again, it's unladylike.co where you can find all the sources and resources for this episode and pre-order our book. It's coming out from 10 Speed Press in October and it talks all about menstruation with a little bit of menopause tossed in there and y'all are going to love it. 
Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelitz. Special thanks to Dave Mackey. And we are your hosts, Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger. And next week, we're figuring out how gender seeps its way into something we think of as being the most gender neutral, our technology. Hey, Alexa. Are you a feminist? Yes. I believe in gender equality. What's your gender? I'm female in character. Okay. Uh, Why are you female? Hmm. I don't know that one. Make sure you subscribe to our show and your favorite podcast app so that y'all don't miss it. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. Uh, Whoa. That was my ovaries shutting down. (laughs) Mine do it quickly and with magical music. (laughs) Stitcher.